Talk 1110-993 WBT, hour number two, the Pete Callender Show. I want to welcome back to the program Rich Rubino. He is the author of the Great American Political Trivia Challenge, which is a big fat book of political trivia on steroids. Uh, welcome back to the program. Rich, how are you? Good, Pete. How are you doing? I am doing all right. Um, and so uh, we were talking in the last hour about the uh, the red wave, quote-unquote, being more of a, a ripple. So yep. uh, let me ask you, uh, to what do you think that is attributable to, or uh, is that even a fair assessment? Yeah, I think that is basically a fair assessment. I think there are, a few, generally speaking, Joe Biden's job approval is at about 41 42%. Um, Bill Clinton, for example, had approval rating about 45 percent, and his party lost about 54 seats. Truman was right about where Biden was. His party lost about 54 seats. So what was different this time? Why was there not a red wave? A couple of reasons. First of all, a lot of the moderate and conservative Democrats elected in 2018 in the anti-Trump wave, I guess, landed up losing their re-election bids in 2020. In fact, every single member who lost last time around was a freshman, except for Colin Peterson of Minnesota in a very conservative district. So there weren't that many in the House of Representatives, actual, actual, actual marginal districts. And also the fact, you have to add to that, the fact that Donald Trump is also on the national scene, and he has a personal approval rating of about 40% as well. So every time you bring up Joe Biden as the boogeyman on the Republican side, the Democrats can bring up Donald Trump. So all things being equal, um, this should have been an election where Republicans, based on historical terms, should have picked up more than about more than 40 seats or so. But because of those two reasons, um, it's very modest. It's very similar to, I think, Jimmy Carter in his first midterm in 1978, when the party just lost three seats in the Senate and 15 seats in the House of Representatives. But it certainly was underwhelming for the Republican Party. Wait, wait, wait. So are you telling me that this that this is another sort of parallel with the Carter administration? It's very similar in terms of the 78 midterms. Um, Jimmy Carter, there was Jimmy Carter, a lot of speculation was that the Democrats would lose a lot more seats that time. They did lose about 15 seats and lost their supermajority in the House, but they still had about 277 seats. So that is a similarity. But if you look at other ones, they say the Truman won in 1946 and actually very similar times. Times of inflation. There were issues of um, there were issues of strikes. That Harry Truman had was extremely unpopular, and his party lost over fifty seats in that election. And Bill Clinton was more popular than Jimmy Carter. I mean, than Jimmy Carter and um, and the and Joe Biden was in nineteen ninety four. But you had his tax increases. You had his ban on AK forty sevens, which brought a lot of um, brought, brought a lot of brought a lot of NRA supporters out. For for example, as a backlash to that, and the Democrats lost fifty four seats, but. The one thing I would caution everybody is midterm elections generally are not a precursor to what happens in 2000. It happens in the presidential election. Ronald Reagan lost 26 seats in 1982, which is about average. He won 49 states when he ran for president the next time around. Bill Clinton lost 54 seats in 1994. He won overwhelmingly in 1996. With, in 1996 and Barack Obama lost 63 seats in 2010, and he ended up winning in 2012. So these aren't really precursors of presidential elections. Right, and uh, we were talking about this earlier in the week. The people who tend to vote in the midterms are the angriest people right. in the electorate, and that's because they're generally the ones out of power. Right. Oh, oh absolutely. And what you usually have on the, on the side of... In terms of the incumbent president, oftentimes there's a little, there's always buyer's remorse. Presidents, when they run, tend to over, tend to overpromise and underperform, at least in the part of independence. Um, so independents generally are kind of just are kind of distraught. They might not vote, or they might vote for their 
for the other party, and then the other side is always more galvanized. They say, how come we lost last time? And they are angry at who the president is, so they're more likely to come out. But because of the Donald Trump factor this time around, and also I think to a lesser extent the Dobbs decision overturning Roe v. Wade, there were reasons to galvanize the Democratic base, and I think the Democratic base was as galvanized as the GOP base this time. Um, what about uh, redistricting? What impact yep. did that have? That actually had a huge impact on a couple of things. First of all, the state of New York, for example, um, and this is fascinating, the chairman of the Democratic, there, were, there was redistricting, the chairman of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, they're the ones that are in charge of doling out the money determining what the swing districts are, um, Sean Maloney, he was the he was the chairman, and he actually lost his own seat. Part <laughs> because this is fascinating. The first time since James Gorman lost in 1980 that the chairman of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, someone who potentially could have been a future Speaker of the House at some point, was out campaigning. He was going around the country campaigning for other Democrats. Meanwhile, because of the gerrymandering of New York, his district, with about 70 percent of his own congressional district, was new to him, and he and he had never represented it before. So you have this odd scenario where he loses his own seat. Has to, he has a press conference today, yesterday where he talks about how the Democrats did. One day after, he has, an, he has to give a concession speech on his own seat. I mean, this is, on, this is really amazing, but there are some, certainly in New York, I think you see this in California as well, and certainly that's another factor always is, you know, one thing where politicians oftentimes tend to agree is they tend to support anything that will benefit them in their own congressional districts. And that's, I think, that's, I think probably the most important race, really, of the country is what happened in, the, in terms of New York State. It's really almost unprecedented. Isn't that sort of similar to what happened, uh, what was the fellow's name, he, on the Republican side a couple of years ago up in Virginia, right? He was, wasn't he? Uh, oh, yeah, Eric Cantor, yeah. yeah. That was, but that was actually, so that was a little bit different. That was actually in a primary, and that was against David Bratt. True. And so Eric Cantor was basically second in line to become, he was probably going to be Speaker of the House. He was second in line. And he lost in 2014 in his own party's primary for a couple of reasons. Partly, he was seen as being too soft on immigration. Laura Ingram and a lot of kind of the conservative intelligentsia galvanized toward his opponent in the primary. So he had a lot of national support and a lot of money was coming in. And I think Cantor never believed that it was actually going to be a um, serious challenge. And he landed up losing, but, you know, the benefit of him, he landed up going to Wall Street and get, getting paid about $3 million a year, so I'm sure he probably is happy about that. But the other one, there was another example, too, and this was the Joe Crowley, um, this is the Joe Crowley um, AOC race. Yeah. Joe Crowley, very similar to what happened. He was chairman of the Democratic caucus. He was, he basically, he was probably in line to become the next Speaker of the House after Nancy Pelosi, so he was at every congressional district in the country that wanted him. And as a result, um, AOC... Um, you know, was really trying to galvanize support in the primary against him. Against him, she, he he didn't even Joe Crowley in terms of the debate. He literally sent an emissary because he was out campaigning for other people. So as a result, I think there was really a backlash, and people were saying, "Why isn't this guy in our own district?" So I think he was actually shocked that he landed up actually losing to AOC. But it's, there, that the Eric Cantor one is, and the, the, those are kind of the trifecta, really. And I would say that probably the biggest, um, I would say the, the probably the person who lost that was in the h- highest position, though. Is at least in the last hundred years, had to have been, if you remember, in 1994, Tom Foley. Mm. He was Speaker of the House, and he represented, you know, you think of Washington, you think of Seattle, but it goes all the way to Idaho. So he represented a western Washington, eastern Washington district about right around Spokane. And part of the reason he lost that seat, he was somebody who had always had support of the NRA because it was a very conservative district in terms of he'd always been a, he'd always been a supporter of gun rights. But Bill Clinton called him up and said, I really need to get the Brady Bill passed, and I really need to get the AR-15 
um, ban passed and Tom Foley said, okay, I'm going to bring it to a vote. There was, therefore, there was a referendum, plus the fact that Tom Foley was against term limits, and term limits had passed in the ballot in West Virginia, so George Nethercutt landed up winning. And the next day, there was a poll that showed 25% of his constituents um, thought that that meant, George Nether, that meant, that meant Congressman, new congressman-elect Nethercutt would automatically become Speaker of the House. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, all right, and um, Democrats funded a bunch of Republicans in the primaries, These uh, the, the more Trump— Yep. Uh, uh, endorsed candidates, and it seems to have paid off. No, I mean every one of the ones that they funded beat the um, beat their primary opponents, who would have been sort of more GOP establishment types. But then they all lost in the general election. Do you find that to be a troubling tactic that may portend uh, doom in the future? Uh, perhaps yes, but it certainly is also from Machiavellian standpoint. It it's effective. You know, Claire McCaskey used to do this in Missouri. Um, basically, the Democrats did everything they possibly could to get the right opponent when she was running for re-election and had a job approval right under 50%, and it worked for her, and she got re-elected. Uh, if you see a state like New Hampshire, for example, you know, Dan Bolbeck, um was the anti-establishment Trumpian candidate. Democrats did everything they possibly could. Maggie Hassan, who was up for re-election, um, did everything they possibly could to get that, to get him as their opponent, and they got him as their opponent. And they landed, and they, and that was probably the, the best possible candidate for them to run against. Another example in history, by the way, Harry Reid. Harry Reid did everything he possibly could, and when he was running for re-election, and he was the most unpopular senator in the country his last time around, in two thousand ten, two thousand and ten, they did everything they possibly could to get the weakest possible candidate, and they got the weakest possible candidate, and they won. So that's something certain that you see. Um, in politics, do everything you possibly can for the weakest opponent in the primary, and then once they get into the general election, then you absolutely excoriate them. Rich Rubino, he is the author of the book, The Great American Political Trivia Challenge, Political Trivia on Steroids, and uh, we always appreciate your insight. Thanks for making time for us today. We appreciate you. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. We've been discussing this uh, Politico piece by David Siders. Headlined, The Red Wave That Wasn't, Five Takeaways from a Disappointing Night for the GOP. And he starts off by arguing that Trump is damaged goods. And you know me, I'm a contrarian. And so when I see this statement, I then say, is that true? I question the statement. What's the premise? And he says, Trump's place in the party is far weaker after Tuesday. And I, so I'm curious if you agree and why or why not. Um, because I, like, I don't know if it's weaker. I'm not an expert on this. I'm, I'm not an expert on determining what, you know, a hundred million people think. I don't know that. Nobody else does. So I'm asking what you think, right? But this guy seems comfortable in divining this. His place in the party is far weaker after Tuesday. And then there's also the reporting that he was very, very angry at the results. But then he went on to, where did he go? Fox News, I think it was Fox Digital. Yeah, here it is. Fox News, uh, now that the election is over, this is what he, he uh, said. Dude, President Trump took a victory lap on social media. So I guess this was on Truth so Yeah, on Truth Social. His platform, right? His media platform. Now that the election in Florida is over and everything went quite well, shouldn't it, shouldn't it be said that in 2020, I got 1.1 million more votes in Florida than Ron D. got this year, 5.7 million to 4.6 million? Just asking, Trump said. 
Is he aware of the difference between a midterm and a general? Okay, the former president has remained mostly quiet on DeSantis. I mean, after he called him Ron DeSanctimonious. And the Florida governor was notably missing from Trump's Election Day victory party at Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach. Their Cold War has sparked some discussion among Republicans that the party is splitting into multiple factions. It already is. Including Trump supporters, DeSantis supporters, and those that do not identify with either camp. Trump later admitted to voting for DeSantis. Well, and that's good. He should. Absolutely. It was stupid of him to say the thing he said at the rally in, where was it? Pennsylvania, where he called him DeSanctimonious. You want to come up with the nicknames after the midterm, you go ahead and do that. But that was just, that was just dumb. But, you know, people said, oh, that's a shot across the bow to DeSantis. I understand that. But was that really worth it to do it a day or two before the midterm? Why? Why would you send that? Why would you send that shot across the bow? By the way, is it possible DeSantis got such a big bump because of that? Um, he then Trump then this morning uh, went on to the Truth Social again, and he said, while in certain ways yesterday's election was somewhat disappointing, from my personal standpoint, it was a very big victory. 219 wins and 16 losses in the general. Who has ever done better than that? Oh, I should have asked Rick, uh, Rich Rubino that. He would know. Um, <laughs> two, so, And I've seen people say on this that, well, this is him putting his own performance above the performance of the party. Right? So... So what do you think? Is he stronger now? Because he's obviously making the case that he did such a great job. I think he told, uh, he said in an interview that he, uh, where was it? Yeah, he said, all these guys that are winning are my people. Um, And uh, the people I endorsed did very well. I was batting 98.6% in the primaries and 216 to 19 in the general election. That is amazing. Right? So He's making the argument that he has emerged stronger because 216 people he endorsed one, 19 he endor- uh, that he refused to, or, or, or 19 that he endorsed didn't win. So 216 to 19, that's that's a that's a good day for him. But so what do you think? Is he damaged goods? Is he weaker now than he was before the election? Let me go to Eric, who has been waiting quite patiently for a very long time. Hello, Eric. Thanks for hanging on. Hey, Pete. Thanks for having me. Sure. Um, He's damaged goods, and the context for me is I'm a guy who voted Obama the first time, went libertarian for the next three cycles, and then voted for Trump in the last election, but not his first. I'm the guy you need to convince, and I'll be real honest. After seeing Ron DeSantis and going, so we can have everything Trump has without the baggage, I'm I'm sorry, Trump's damaged goods. Um, we see we can have that in DeSantis, and he's the answer and what I would say to folks like Jane, she's going to be great outside of polling centers. She's going to be great polling for Trump, but she's a die in the wool Republican. Good for her. She mm-hmm. can get people motivated. But guys like me, I don't like Trump's mouth. I don't like the way he comes off and the braggadocious. And I'm a guy that you need because, again, I can swing either way. And I got to tell you, we're the folks you got to convince, and he's not done it. And again, after seeing what DeSantis can do, understanding he's everything Trump is, but no baggage, it's such an easy answer. We can either be right about Trump and lose the next election, or we can be wrong, and we can win the next couple elections with DeSantis. Right, yeah, and I heard somebody make the reference that uh, 
Trump is a stimulus in the primary and a tax hike that pays for the stimulus in the general election. In other words, right, he's he's free money to the Republicans that get his endorsements early. But when going into the general, the check comes due for that stimulus payment. And now there's the tax hike because people in the general like you, they're not too keen on what Trump offers them. They are there, whereas the, the Republican primary voters are. No, correct. And I, I think it's, I'll tell you the most glaring obvious from this recent election. If Trump endorsed could not get a world-renowned heart surgeon to beat a guy who can barely complete a sentence and makes Joe Biden look like a flipping Rhodes Scholar, <laughs> this has to tell you, I mean, J.D. Vance won great, mm-hmm. but I, I'm going to question Trump's record on this recent one because there are a lot of Trump folks very hard supported that are now sitting at home unemployed. Yeah. I appreciate the call, Eric. Thank you. Thank you, Pete. All right, man. Appreciate it. I think, look, he Trump did make a lot of endorsements that did win. Uh, we're still waiting to see, you know, what happens in Arizona with Kerry Lake, Herschel Walker in Georgia, right? So, so his record wasn't. It's not like everybody that endorsed him lost. I think the, I think the thing is, and I've said this ever since Trump won election, and you started to see people sort of imitate him. There isn't another Donald Trump. And I think anybody who tries to be him or tries to channel whatever it is that he's got, I think that they don't do very well. They, they It just it doesn't seem like because everybody just sees what you're doing, right? You're trying to be Trump, but you're not Trump. He's the only one there is. They broke the mold, you know, when they made him. <laughs> uh, what is this? Ray. Let me go over here to Ray. Hello, Ray. Welcome to the program. Hey. hey. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Hey. Hey. I, I kind of go along with the other guy a little bit. I'll even go a little step further. It's not why I call, but I'll comment. The uh, DeSantis, I like Nikki Haley, and they should let Trump oversee the revamping of all the legal departments like this, like the FBI. And Trump would be in heaven getting it. <laughs> but, but in any case, I, I'm serious. Yeah, he would he just run around and be like, you're fired, you're fired, you're fired. <laughs> no, don't, don't let him do that. Let him just oversee it. You know what I mean? <laughs> So like, but why I called is this red wave thing. The Republicans, here's how I say it. The, the, the Democrats are street fighters. The Republicans, which I was until a couple of years ago, and I went in, independent. Mm-hmm. So like, and I voted for Trump. So like the red wave thing, they beat it to death where people stayed home. They figured, why should I go, man? It's going to be a killing anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah. The re- the but that, could, that, that works the other way, too, though. Yeah, and the Republicans are, they're not smart, man. They advertise everything they're going to do. They alienated their own people. Oh, we're going to get this when we're going to do this. I mean, it, it, it's crazy. They're all lawyers, and they really are just just softies, man. They're all rhinos. I mean, it's a mess. I wish them all well, but, like, uh Hey, they're pretty stupid. In my opinion, a whole bunch of them are pretty stupid. Look well, what they got us into. Look at all this crap they got us into. What do you mean? Everything. Economy. Uh, oil. Those are the two big ones. I the, mean, the, the Republicans got us into this? They all got us into this by letting Joe take over. <laughs> but, uh, well, I, I would disagree with who's to blame for Joe Biden taken over. I do appreciate the call. I got to run. Ray, thank you very much. We got a bunch of people waiting online. I will get to you guys.
Talk 1110-993-WBT. Got a tweet um, uh, from Ron who says, Pete, the first rule of red wave should be don't talk about red wave. That's fair. That is fair. Hey, Missy's back. Hello, Missy. Welcome to the program. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm well. I'm doing all right. Sorry for the dropped calls so many times earlier in the program, but glad you're through now. Uh, thank you. So, yeah, I think Trump needs to just stop. I think it's kind of apparent, even though he sits there and wants to tell his own horn and everything like that, um, that when you look at, like, the Dr. Oz one, let's just take him, for example. There was somebody else that was running in the primary against Oz. Right. And, of course, then all the Trumpers came and started backing Dr. Oz. And I was like, what are they doing? Because I can't remember the other gentleman's name, but I think that that person would have had a much better chance against Fetterman. Right. Plain and, and simple. And to some degree, this, you know, this is going to be speculative because we don't know that whoever the guy that um, that Oz beat, you know, we don't mm-hmm. we don't know if that guy would have been better, if he would have yeah. been closer. Um, and, you know, Fetterman. uh Look, that be the the liars that enabled Fetterman and him, right himself, uh, right they it worked, right? Their lie worked, and uh, they they were able to hide the fact that he had had the stroke. They were able to hide him from uh, uh, from any kind of you know real examination by media for a good portion of the campaign. They were able to do one single debate that was you know, uh, that was done after early voting had already occurred and they had banked a whole bunch of votes. But you also had people, and, you know, far be it for me to suggest that radio talk show hosts might not be the best surrogates to bring into town to back somebody, but Sean Hannity going to Pennsylvania um, to try to stump for Oz, I thought was not a good move. I I mean, just, I, I didn't think that was a good move either. It's one thing to get an endorsement from Trump. It's another thing to bring Sean Hannity to town. Yeah. So, and you know what was interesting? Like, if you look at, because, like, I've always been a supporter of Marco Rubio and DeSantis, and um, even look at Tim Scott. Mm -hmm. I mean, their numbers that came in were just enormous. But do you know that every one of their political ads that they ran, none of them were negative. It talked about their accomplishments and what they were going to do. Maybe it's about time. And that's why I look at Trump, and I think he, you know, the moment he started in on DeSantis, it was because he thought of him as competition. Sure. That's, that's not how you go into this. The end goal is that we're supposed to be supporting one another in the Republican Party, not tearing them down. Yeah. Mm. I don't... Nah, I'm not so sure about... Well, I'm not sure that's how Trump thinks. No, and that's why he needs to stop. I got you. That's why he needs to just step aside... And suck up his ego. No, that's not happening um, either. <laughs> I know, I know. Oh, and yeah, I mean, this is the... Because it's going gonna, it's gonna to cause a lot of damage, especially if he breaks, because it's going to be the... We're going to end up with another Democrat. We're going to end up with four more years of the crap we have now. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah, No, it's possible. Thank you, Missy. I appreciate your call. All right. All right. Please. See ya. Uh, let me jump over and get uh, who's up here next. This is Chris. Hello, Chris. Welcome to the show. Thanks, boss. How you doing, man? Hey, I'm good. What's going on? Man, I've just been listening on an office. I've been working throughout the day, and it's it's such a complicated topic. It could be talked about for weeks, but I think the one 
pitfall that a lot of us are falling into is like the Republican Party is some juggernaut before Trump came along that would just win everything. And <laughs> we don't have a man woman in the in the White House running the attorney general assistant position that came from Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is liberal as a get out anymore. I mean, you, you, to, for us to be sitting around, oh, we couldn't beat Fetterman. It's like, dude, look at Pennsylvania. Like, I, I, I wasn't that bad of a candidate. And for us to sit around and imagine that some other guy would have just smoke showed the competition, it's ridiculous. Uh, it's well, so here, I'm going to push. Hang on, Chris. I'm, I'll push back on that. The seat was held by a Republican, Pat Toomey. I understand that, but you, you look at the politics of Pennsylvania since mm-hmm. Toomey was put in there how many years ago? Well, but he won re-election within the last six. Six years, yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's, an, that's an eternity. That's before Trump. That's like when Trump was in office the first time. So, I mean, I, I get it. Oz I, I barely beat. A Republican could win in Pennsylvania, but for us to sit around and think it was a, it would have just naturally happened. No, I no, we don't know that. Around. No, and that's what I said to Missy, too, is that we don't, we, we, that would, that's just speculation. But yeah, now that being said, no, hang on, but that being said, the guy still lost. I mean, hang on, but hang on, Chris, Chris, Chris. throwing that in there, and I'm not against you, Pete. Hang on, I, I don't agree say, with what you said. Chris, I don't think you are, and that's uh, but yeah, you also have to acknowledge that Dr. Oz, who like had all that support, all that money, all the name ID, had all that going for him, he still lost to a man that can't speak a full sentence. Well, Oz has his own baggage. Oz isn't a great candidate. Without Trump's endorsement, you think Oz would have done better? Yes or no? No. Okay. Right, so, but that's but that's my point. If you can get Trump's endorsement, I think anywhere across the country, the the the, what, the other part of this equation is the media hasn't really been. They've they started. They've started their attacks on on DeSantis, mm-hmm. and and when, once they've had their turn, men like three callers ago who says he can't vote for Trump because he's braggadocious, never mentions his policies, never mentions how we, what direction he's taking the country. If we're all going to worry about hair personality, how big noses are, if somebody called somebody that looks like a horse, horse face, whatever, then we're probably doomed as a party because Democrats stick together. They're supposed to be the party of anti-racism, but they'll put somebody up convicted of racism twice, right. cover for them. So we should be that bad? Like faith, loyalty, personality. Right, so hang on, creed, hang, Chris. Doesn't matter. Hang on, Chris. So we, should, so we should do that? We should be as bad as the Democrats? Is it bad? Is yeah, it, is it bad to look at policy versus personality? No, no, it's not. That, that's bad? not. No, no, no. That's not. That's not what's happening, though. It's not looking at personality versus policy. It's looking at winning overall. That's all. And it doesn't. It doesn't. Even, because the things. Bad. No, no. Hang on, Chris. 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 You're not going to steamroll me. I can dump you when I want to. Okay. So <laughs> we're we're going to have this conversation, right? So because this is a very important point. Donald Trump is not a movement conservative, right? Donald Trump. Uh, honestly, like if he had been if he had governed on the policies that he was actually pitching at certain points, these were moderate policies. He could have actually been very, very, very popular and won a lot of Democrats support. But Democrats didn't want anything to do with it because it was all about winning. The policy is irrelevant. Doesn't matter. And then and then hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. And then Donald Trump. Hang on. uh, Example of what? Of what you just promoted, that like a man like Trump with a better personality and, sh- and actually just talking about policy can win Democrat support. Where does that happen? I said his po- – no, I said – if I, this is my, my point is that he had the policies of a more moderate. His natural inclination was more moderate. And if he had pursued those types of policies, he could have been more successful with Democrats. But he did not. 
He did not govern like that. He did not get a lot of stuff done. He allowed himself to be dragged, like with the COVID stuff, right? The managerial class and Fauci and Burks, like they just dragged him along, right? So he did all, he did a lot of things that alienated people on policy. He did a lot of other things that alienated people on the personal side, calling uh, Carly Fiorina names, attacking Ted Cruz's wife, making fun of short people, like all of these things, and, and, and mentally retarded people, like all of these things uh. he did, and don't deny that he did that, he absolutely did it, He all of these things that he did alienated more people. That's the problem. And so when you say, well, Democrats, and you say... Both types of people, so I don't want to get in the weeds on that, but... When you say Democrats do this and they don't suffer repercussions... just have one point... You made before I go. Yeah, go ahead. Before you steam, steam rolling. Is it me or you? Yeah. Well, that was me because. uh, Go ahead. You say the last word because I got to go to a traffic break. Until the Republicans can stick together around and formulate around policy, and and not over personality, then we're going to lose. Okay. Thank you for the call, Chris. I appreciate it. Talk 1110-993-WBT. Got a tweet here from Kenny who says, uh, Pete, I am not never Trump. I am not always Trump. I am, it's time to step aside, Trump. DeSantis 2024. Christian says, listening to the show right now, nobody seems to be talking about how Doug Mastriano brought down Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania. Mastriano's a total nut job for governor at the top of the ticket. Come on now, he brought down the whole party. Did he get Trump's endorsement? I don't, I have not followed the Pennsylvania race. I really haven't. Um, and oh, the, the Mastriano, I haven't, I have not followed the governor's race there. But yeah, I have heard, and that's possible too. Now, let me go back to one, Chris's call. And by the way, I've had this uh, discussion in various forms uh, ever since Donald Trump came down the golden escalator. Okay. And the premise of Chris's uh, argument was that personality doesn't matter, policy does. So we need to ignore the personality in order to get the policies we want. Here's where, here's where Chris is incorrect, is mistaken. The premise is incorrect. Personality does, in fact, matter in politics. Now, you may not like that, but that is true. Just like a candidate's looks matter, Seriously, good-looking candidates do better. Taller candidates do better. Candidates with hair. I mean, if they're men. Well, I guess in women as well. They do better, right? Good hair. Seriously. Photogenic, telegenic, able to deliver speeches, except for better men, obviously. Now, maybe those things change over time. You know, I don't know. We shall see. But to deny that personality matters in politics is to deny reality as it is. And... Uh, I am a resident, as Rush would call it, Realville. I live here. I try to, right? And you cannot say that it doesn't matter, first of all. But if you are going to assert that the personality doesn't matter, then you are no longer allowed to criticize any other personality flaws or abuses of anybody. You now don't get to attack Democrats for philandering. You don't get to say anything about Bill Clinton or Hillary Clinton, for that matter, right? Personality doesn't matter. It's the policy. And if Bill Clinton is able to uh, advance policies that you like, that's fine. In fact, that was the argument from the left, right? When the, when, uh, 
when Bill Clinton was accused of having all the affairs and the inappropriate relations with that woman in the White House Oval Office, right, Democrats made the argument and the media amplified this argument that that's his personal business and it has nothing to do with the policies that he's able to enact, with the way he's governing. And people on the right said, no, that's not correct. Both matter. Both matter. But if you are going to argue that personality doesn't matter, first off, I would submit to you that that is an incorrect premise. Secondly, if it is correct, then that must be a universal standard and no one's personality matters. All personality defects, lying, stealing, all of it, none of it matters. None of that matters as long as you can get your guy to do what you want that guy to do. And if that's not what you are advancing, then what you're actually arguing for is a carve-out. You want a special rule. You want to say that your guy's personality doesn't matter, but everybody else's does. And I'm not on board with that standard. So uh, let me go over here. Let's get Dean on. Hello, Dean. Welcome to the program. What do you say there, Pete? Hey, Amen. So I loved Trump the moment he come down the Golden Escalator as well. I said the country needs somebody who's not a politician. So now we fast forward to we are here today. Mm-hmm. If anybody on the right thinks that the press is going to treat DeSantis any differently than they have worn Trump into the ground over the last six years, they're insane. Well, so I, I, but Dean, do we, you think that do you think that DeSantis handles the media better than Trump, or Trump handles that media uh, those media attacks um, better than DeSantis? So DeSantis has not had the same attacks yet. Now, Trump, I understand. I'm from New York originally, if my accent doesn't come through on the radio. It does, (laughs) trust me. (laughs) I I, I get him. Yeah. I I get his personality. The the press was like 96% reporting only negative things Mm -hmm. about the Trump administration. Mm -hmm. So. That's why Trump did what he did. That's why the tweets, nobody was getting his message out. He felt he needed to get his message out. People just need to accept right. that. Right, but here's the problem. Dean, here's the problem. Ron DeSantis is better at dealing with the media than Trump is I, I, because I he has discipline. 100%. He has yeah, message 100%. discipline. Yeah, and so he, uh, so he takes a question. He immediately pivots to hammer away and give – Carrie Lake, by the way, who Trump endorsed in Arizona – She's been fantastic. I've seen I've seen her handling media very very well. Um, she said some other things. I'm like, oh, that's not so great. But the way she handles media attacks, I think, has been very potent. And I think DeSantis has a good way of doing it as well. Trump is he's always the way he speaks. He leaves a lot of people confused at what he's trying to say, and it, he doesn't he doesn't do very well. He's great at the branding and the marketing stuff, coming up with the names and you know the nicknames for people. But as far as, like, getting a message out, other than you hurt me, I hurt you, I, I don't, yeah, I don't know. No, I, I get it. No, no, no I, I get it. Trump, is, everything is personal to him. Um, and apparently he's not taking advice or coaching from anybody because he thinks he knows what he's doing. I yeah. get it. DeSantis has had the opportunity to sit back and learn from what happened at the national level. True. Good for him. I'll vote for whichever Republican comes through the primaries. I don't care who it is, but I'll never vote for a Democrat. Right. See, and that's a good, so there's a good point, too. Like, what happens in either case, right? 
do if these are the two guys and this does happen uh, in a in a primary, do these guys so damage each other that the other uh, the followers of the other part of the whoever loses, they won't turn out and vote. They won't they won't get behind whoever wins. Well, and that's it. And I've also told people, if one of these two goes third ticket, it's a guaranteed Democrat win. Mm-hmm. So uh, here we go. I mean, that's what the press is lining up for. The, the press press is already lining up for uh, a DeSantis-Trump fight mm-hmm. to damage themselves so politically in the eyes of the public that they won't vote for the other, uh, whoever wins the primary, for a Democrat win. Right. The, the chal- Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think, and I appreciate the call, Dean. I think the challenge is going to be, if this is the way it shakes out, we don't even know. I mean, this is all speculation, but if this is the way it shapes, uh, shakes out, if Trump gets past DeSantis, I think we know what that looks like already, right? And I think media cheering on the fight in order to, to tear down DeSantis to take him off the field for the future, right? I think that is sort of the long-term problem for DeSantis, but also if he were to win... How does he emerge not weakened?